So, Mark. Yes. I want to talk about myths. Okay. Specifically, stories that are presented as true, but which have no basis in reality. Okay, there's a lot of those. Like what? I'm trying to think of one. Um, Most American legends. Yeah. I feel like, isn't John Henry... That's not a real story, is John it? John Henry's not a real story, but that's, like, on its face, obviously not a real story. Like, Babe the Blue Ox. Nobody no, thought that was That's Paul real. Bunyan. John oh, Henry, yeah. the one who oh, drove the, the spikes. He raced the railroad. Yeah, beating a, a machine. Story. What a great story. It's not true, though. No. They call them tall tales in the United States. We don't have myths. We have tall tales. Yes. I feel like tall tales are the ones that are more often believed, and then myths we see as more religious elements. Tall tales tend to be less supernatural. Right. The idea is just, like, a little bit beyond what's reasonable. Right. And some of them do have a basis in reality. Johnny Appleseed was a real guy. Yeah, but Paul Bunyan, not a real dude. No. Babe the Blue Ox, surprisingly, was the name of a congressman from Minnesota. (laughs) All right. Babe the Blue Ox. Uh, That's Representative Babe. (laughs) Representative Babe. Representative Ox. (laughs) He, uh... Is it Babe the Blue Ox? Yeah. Babe Three the names. Blue is in parentheses, ah. is in quotes, excuse me. It's like, it's a name he picked up during the war. Oh, yes. Baybox. Yeah. He was known as Colonel the Blue. I would definitely vote for someone named Baybox. It's one of those post-Civil War things where, like, everybody had been in the military and they're all running just on their military experience. You know, Congressman Ox, he was one of those guys who was really mad about the Dred Scott decision. And that inspired him to run for office. And then the war came and he started fighting in the war. And he was friends with this soldier one time who lost his gun and started waving an axe around on the field, and that's the origin of the story. He was, like, 6'3", so he wasn't that tall. But he was, like, taller than average. Right, and when he was wearing his Union military uniform, he was wearing a blue uniform, and so he was known as the Blue Ox because of the way that he barreled through the battlefield. Yeah, and for some reason his friend decided that wearing flannel into battle would be chill. It was camouflage in the Great Plains, where, you know when you're flying over the Great Plains and you see, like, the patchwork? So they were fighting mostly in Oklahoma, and so he wore plaid to blend in with the Great Plains patchwork. <laughs> yep, so effective. Yeah, this is history. You know, overhead... This, is, this overhead, is not a tall tale. Overhead shots were really important back then. You wanted to blend into the ground. It is true that in the Civil War, they tried aerial recon a couple times with hot air balloons. Yeah, the hot air balloon core. That's actually a real thing. Yeah. That was really cool. It's really excellent. Anyway, though, we're talking about stories that aren't true. Yes. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because I want to talk about Dutch Boy. Oh, God. Of course you do. So in this bananas film that we are going to discuss, and I feel like we're not going to spend a lot of time on romance, but we'll talk for a full hour. Yes. The satellite system they build is called Dutch Boy after the story of the little Dutch boy who sticks his finger in a hole in a dike to stop the town from flooding. Right. And I feel like the movie kind of presents this as like at least being like in tall tale territory. Like, it might be true? Yeah. I don't think anyone really believes this story. Okay, it's not even a Dutch story. Really? No, it's from an American book written in the 1850s. I guess Dutch people actually know how dikes work, whereas Americans don't. So, it's from a story, Hans Brinker, or The Silver Skates, which is by a woman named Mary Mapes Dodge. What a great it's name. It's an incredible name. What a truly American 1800s yeah, that name. that is a 19th century name. She was friends with Baybox. What if she married him and she was Mary Mapes Dodge Ox? Oh, please. She wouldn't have kept her name. Mary Ox. Mary Ox. Not a bad name. No. no. I wonder if Ox is a last name anywhere. It could be. You just change your name. Yeah. Done. Here. Let's do it. All right. If we get 300 listens to this episode, Mark will legally change his last name to Ox. I uh, don't know if I will uphold that promise. It's I a don't commitment. know how much that costs. It's a we love the love commitment. 
Hashtag we love the love. Hashtag we love the ox. I'm Googling how much does it cost to change your name. So anyway, the story of the boy with the dike, it's exactly like what we said. The little boy sees that there's a leaking dike, so he sticks his finger in there and stays there all night in the cold. Probably gets pneumonia, and then the next day, the adults find him. And I'm like, where are the adults in this story? Mary Mapes Dodge? What's happening with this kid? Everyone knows the Dutch are lackadaisical parents. Yeah, apparently. Ask the- Just ask Mary Mapes Dodge. <laughs> There are now, like, a bunch of statues of a little boy with a finger in the dike in a bunch of cities in the Netherlands. One of which, in Matteradam, there is a hole that, like, is a fountain shooting water through, so it's like the little boy is failing. That's really rude. Maybe it's supposed to be him, like, finding the dike. All I know is I see the little boy there, and there's water shooting out of it. He's just in the process. I'm envisioning the the scene from The Last Jedi where BB-8 is trying to stop the sparks from flying inside the X-Wing. And so he's constantly just, like, sticking his little robot arms all clearly over Clearly a reference to the Dutch boy. It's clearly a reference to the Dutch boy. And I'm just imagining the Dutch boy with, like, like a bowling ball, his fingers splayed in all these little holes. I think that's, like, in some version, some people think that happened. Makes sense. I also, guess. I looked it up, and it costs one hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars on average to change your name. All right, that's reasonable. Hashtag it we is love not. the ox. It's gonna happen. I will need to get a lot of tips at my job before I'm willing to do that. Mark Ox, attorney at law, private eye, and baloney salesman. I think we need to take this moment to acknowledge the fact that the CBS show The Bull, frequently advertised during God Friended Me, Yo, is guys, based- God Friended Me is still going strong. It got a full season order. But, more importantly, The Bull is based off of the life of Dr. Phil. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Dr. Frederick Phil. I totally forgot his last name. I think it's McGraw. I think his name is Dr. Phil McGraw. That's a ridiculous name. Yes. Apparently, he worked as, like, a court psychologist before becoming a TV talk show host. You know what he should do? He should get rid of that stupid name McGraw and change his name to Phil Ox. Everyone tweet at Dr. Phil. Hashtag, we love the Ox. Hashtag, change it up. You keep trying. I don't know if this is going to stick. We will be doing this. We will be tweeting it from the We Love the Love account. So, again, make sure you join in on us. Don't leave us hanging. Show your commitment. We love the Ox. Change it up. At Dr. Phil. Change it up. Change it up. Hashtag we love the ox. Uh, were you going to say more things about the Dutch boy? No, that was the Dutch boy. I didn't know if you had other stories that you wanted to tell. I mean, we got the obvious ones. George Washington and the cherry tree was made up by a biographer. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. We are American, so most of ours have an American bent, clearly. Yes, exactly. Well, also, it's like English-speaking America is not old enough to have, like, proper myths. So it's just, like, weird story. It's, like, all, like, urban legends and weird stories. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Yeah, that's some crap. Yeah. Clearly, a cow did not start the Great Chicago Fire. No, it was a raven that pooped fire. What? flew over the city. Where do you come up with this shit? Reality! Uh, what are the other ones? Imagine a raven that pooped fire. There's the classic American myth that... The fortune cookie is a Chinese food. Oh, but the, here's the thing is, it doesn't matter where it comes from. What matters is that it lets you switch bodies with your mom. <laughs> we have to do that movie. Oh my god, I forgot we about that. We have to do that movie. I oh, forgot that's a, how it happens. There was a short film on Vulture today um, called <laughs> Wolf Blitzer One-Way Freaky Friday. <laughs> where this dude wakes up and like thinks he's Wolf Blitzer. And it's all from his wife's perspective where she's like what is happening and he's just wandering around like muttering about different world crises under his breath that sounds so weird it's very bizarre okay 
Do you have any more myths you want to talk about? No, that's fine. I just wanted to complain about the Dutch boy because I'm not going to have time to complain about it among the other things I'm yelling about later on. Oh my god, I have so many things to yell about. So, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast. We are committed to examining the most pressing, the most urgent, the most critical issues of our day. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And, are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? That's a good point. And you know what? As we're looking at this, I think we should agree that it doesn't matter whether it's a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. Either way, we're going to dig in and see what's there. It Spo- is Spoiler for this one, they are neither. It is neither. <laughs> it's like a three-scene flirtation yep. ship, and it doesn't make any sense. And I don't even know the name of the girl. <laughs> we do not know the name of one of the main characters of this movie. I think main character is generous. She is neither main nor supporting. That's true. She's just there. She's medium. Yeah, anyway, so uh, this week we're doing Dean Devlin's directorial debut, the 2017 disaster monstrosity Geostorm. Disaster thing that happened, Geostorm. Oh, oh, Geostorm. We saw Geostorm opening weekend. We did. We were part of its opening weekend phenomenon. We saw it at the Regal Majestic the day after it opened. We didn't see it on opening day because no. you wouldn't. No, I refused. This is like right after we got on Movie Pass. My compromise to Will. My two demands to see Geostorm. One, it would not be the first movie I saw on Movie Pass, and it was not. Two, I would not see it opening night. Yeah, so our movie passes came on like Monday. So then on Thursday, we saw a screening of White Heat. And then on Saturday, we went and we saw Geostorm at like a 1 p.m. showing. And it was great because the theater was like full. Yeah. But it was evenly split between people who were there earnestly excited for Geostorm and people like us. Where like, for example, I cheered every time they said the word Geostorm. Which, according to my account, was nine times, which seems low. It wasn't as frequent as I expected. I think I counted 11 when we first saw the movie. If we counted on-screen appearances, it would have been much higher. So I counted on-screen appearances. I only counted voice. Yeah. I mean, there is something majestic about hearing them say, Geostorm! There's a Geostorm coming. It's a Geostorm. What's worth noting is that there is no Geostorm in this movie. No, there isn't. The Geostorm never occurs. They're about one progress bar away from the Geostorm (laughs) happening. This is a movie where NASA has a program that's just a progress bar, like when you're installing software, but that just shows progress towards Geostorm. Yep. And what I want to know is, do they have one of these for every kind of disaster? I hope so. You're just watching the bar fill up and be like, oh no! To make it clear... It's covering up the other things they should be monitoring. I didn't even think about that. But to make it clear, the totally real concept of a Geostorm is when every natural disaster happens at the same time and the world ends. All over the planet. God, I cannot wait to talk about this. So, the movie was conceived by Dean Devlin, who wrote and directed it. He had also written and produced things like Stargate, Independence Day, the 1998 Godzilla. He worked with Roland Emmerich throughout the 90s. Right. And then he was explaining global warming to his daughter. And she was like, why can't we build a machine that stops global warming? And he was like, movie. What he actually said in an interview, he was like, you know, I started imagining a machine. And then I was like... What would happen if someone used that machine for evil? And then I was like, movie! And that's where Geostorm came from. It's basically a collab between him and his daughter. At the end of the movie, though, they still have the machine. Correct. It's not like the moral of the story is that they have to take down the machine. No, the moral of the story is just that Ed Harris is evil. And that they need to improve the cybersecurity. And that it's important to stay in touch with your brother, even though, as we learn in the movie, sometimes... Younger brothers resent being younger, and they get all bossy. 
Oh my god. This movie has no understanding of family dynamics. That's a real line that's said in this movie because Gerard Butler is the lead. His brother is Jim Sturgis. They are 12 years apart in age. But they look about 40 years apart in age. Yes. Because this whole movie, I kept thinking, how is this person old enough to have this high-level job? Uh, Jim Sturgis's character is an assistant undersecretary to the Secretary of State. And then I always had to remind myself, no, he's not 12. He's actually almost 40. And Gerard Butler, of course, was left in the oven slightly too long. <laughs> and Jim Sturgis's haircut is and not he helping. Not, and let's be clear, he was not, like, basted or anything. He started to crack a little bit in the heat. He lived a life. Can I tell you something crazy about this movie? So, Dean Devlin, like I said, he wrote it, he directed it, and then they brought in another writer. Well, he did. Paul Guillot. He brought him in specifically to work on the brother dynamics. There was a second writer whose job was like, we're really gonna fine-tune this brother stuff. What? Yeah. How? It's so bad. It's terrible. <laughs> Let's be clear. I love this movie. Yeah, I know you do. I own it on Blu-ray, and this will not be the last time I watch it. It's really fun to watch. It is patently absurd. It's one of those terrible movies that swings all around the other way. And you're just like, who cares? I don't know what's happening, but it's hilarious. Yeah, it's great because at the beginning, the graphics of this movie are fairly decent, but they decline throughout it. So it's not like, it's a disaster movie, but the graphics get so bad, you don't feel any of the stakes of the disaster. So you're no longer like, I'm stressed because people are dying. You're just like, why are there frozen birds falling out of the sky okay two things on that first of all the best effects are when the village in afghanistan freezes yes that looks really good yes speaking of birds falling out of the sky part of the viral marketing for this movie i've got a video of it i'll put it on social media in new york city they dressed up a street to look like there was like a flash freeze they put up mannequins like wearing clothes and stuff who were like frozen still like covered in icicles and stuff they like covered the street in fake snow and stuff like that they had fake snow blowers on roofs like blowing snow down and so then they arranged it with this cab where they then on the tv screen in the cab they had set it up so some pre-filmed thing they had would show up being like breaking news there's been a sudden freeze thing in new york city we don't know what's happening but some neighborhoods are totally under ice since so they'd have people like in cabs with a hidden camera thing and the cab would drive onto this street and then get stuck behind another car that was, like, frozen in place. And at one point in it, fake birds covered in ice were dropped on the car. <laughs> like, they'd been flying and then froze to death and fell out of the air. I hate this movie so much. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. They needed to do whatever they could to get people on. I don't know if you remember, but this movie had a pretty serious marketing campaign. Like, they were advertising pretty aggressively on TV yeah, and stuff. Way more than Hurricane Heist. Way more than Hurricane Heist, a movie that barely exists. But... This movie also kind of had a tortured production. It was at Paramount for a while. They put it in turnaround, and then it moved over to Warner's. And it was originally supposed to come out in March 2016. What? You might remember that we saw it in October 2017. Yeah, not not close together. So it was supposed to come out March 2016. Then it was delayed to October 2016. Then to January 2017. And then to October 2017. And it was originally budgeted at $82 million. But the test screenings went so badly that they got $15 million for reshoots. Unplanned ones. Like a lot of movies today will budget in for reshoots. Like there's not a Marvel movie. There's not a Star Wars movie that doesn't plan for reshoots they have it in the budget they have it in the actors contracts and schedules like we're gonna do reshoots to retinker with stuff this movie did not plan for that they had these test screenings that went really badly so they had to gather up all the actors at this point about two years after they shot the movie in 2014 so now in 2016 they have to get everyone back 
They brought in Jerry Bruckheimer to produce the reshoots. They brought in Leda Caligridis to do rewrites for the scenes they were going to be reshooting. And they brought in another director, Danny Cannon, who's done a bunch of TV stuff like CSI and Gotham and stuff like that. They had no faith in Dean Devlin. I mean, should they have? I would love to see the original cut. I wouldn't. By all accounts, it's just boring and confusing. Whereas this thing is awesome and confusing. (laughs) Fair. So, are you telling me that they knew they would be doing reshoots when they had to bring Henry Cavill back in with the mustache? So, Justice League was a different situation. Okay. They probably would have had to do reshoots to some extent, but Justice League was different because Zack Snyder left because of his daughter's suicide. Right. So then they were also bringing in a new director, a very different director with Joss Whedon. Yeah. And so I think the reshoots were more complex than they had originally planned. And also like the mustache thing, normally that he would have just shaved and he easily could have grown it back for Mission Impossible. But Paramount was deciding to, for whatever reason, just be spiteful at Warner Brothers yeah. and refuse to let him shave. That was just a fully dick move. Right. There was no reason to it because there was enough time between the reshoots and him going back to Mission Impossible that it could have grown back. It sounds so petty and it looks so bad. Yes, the digital jaw looks terrible, which is a bummer because the best Superman scene Henry Cavill has ever done, and I love Henry Cavill as an actor, he's great in Mission Impossible, but he's always given crap stuff as Superman. But the best scene he did is the opening scene of Justice League, which is so clearly a Whedon add-in and you see the digital jaw but it's the first time that you really like see Superman smile in three movies wow and you're seeing him smile with a digital jaw oh god um back to Geostorm though yeah I don't even know how to describe it it's complete madness basically in 2019 so look out for this yeah it's gonna happen next year in 2019 hurricanes and droughts hit all over the world. Quote, we didn't just lose towns or beachfronts. We lost entire cities. Uh, We hear that the Hudson flooded lower Manhattan. A heat wave killed 2 million people in Madrid. There are like a bunch of these different catastrophes all All, over the world. All of which are just general B-roll. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like they paid for any filming for this stuff. It's kind of just like generic shots of a sad polar bear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Literally not even like shots of a hurricane. It's like, these are the same things that you would see in like a bad climate change documentary. Yeah. And this is all narrated by a little girl whose lines were written by two old men. Clearly. Yeah. She's Gerard Butler's daughter. She's either eight or 15. Or 40. Yeah, we're 40. It's unclear how old she's supposed to be. And I think they actually say her age, but it doesn't matter. Nothing nothing in dialogue in this movie sticks. Will, can you name a single person besides the main two brothers in this movie? Yeah, so Gerard Butler is our lead. He plays Jake Lawson, which is a nice hard action movie name. Jim Sturgis plays his brother Max. The Secretary of State's character, I believe, is named Ed Harris. <laughs> That was, I remember, because it's Deckham, which is D-E-K-K-O-M. Weird. Which is a very weird spelling, so I remember that one. Andy Garcia plays President Palma. Yes. First name? I don't know that they ever say it. Okay. Oh, um, and the, the, the lady scientist is Uta. But not Uta Hagen. Right, she is not Uta Hagen, the acting teacher. Yes. Uh, I cannot name anyone else. Nope, not a single. Is Eugenio Derbez, like Hernandez or something? Is that his name? Maybe? I don't know. We're going to say it is. This movie is magnificent. It also has very little sticking power. Americans generally rejected it. It opened at number two with 13 million behind a movie we've discussed on this show. Not when we covered, but when we talked about. It was the sequel to a movie that was developed in the wake of the movie we did for our 25th episode. 
What movie was that? I forgot. So for that episode, we did the movie Top 5. Oh, right. And that movie gave somebody else the idea to make another movie. I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, that movie was Boo, A Medea Halloween. <laughs> oh, God. And so this movie opened at number two behind Boo 2, A Medea Halloween. It wound up making $33 million total domestic on a $120 million budget. According to Deadline, the studio lost about $71 million on this movie. Hot damn. And yet, this is not the last time I will watch this movie. Nope. Because it is just that right kind of madness that yeah. works. I think next time we do need to consume a bit more alcohol before we watch. Yes. I wanted to keep a clear head for the podcast. Yeah, we do a lot for you guys. And mostly we're just focused on trying to understand this movie. And I do not understand this movie. Oh, yes, yeah, so we were talking about what happened. So 2019, there's the big storm all over the world. Uh, it's not a geostorm, though, apparently. Then immediately, like, the nations of Earth band together to stop it from happening again. So they build this massive satellite system called Dutch Boy. Well, it has, like, an official name, but they call it Dutch Boy. It's a big satellite that can control all this smaller network of satellites that control the weather by, like, sending stuff into clouds to make it rain or... Sending stuff into clouds to make them dissipate to stop hurricanes or shooting lasers into yeah, the ground to stop it from getting too cold. For some reason, they just can shoot high-powered lasers that burn people to ashes. Yeah, to stop it from getting too cold. They did not put any thought into how Dutch Boy controls the weather. No. They only put thought into, I want to have a giant heat laser blow up St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. There's a really excellent article in Smithsonian Magazine from when this came out that's attempting to decipher the science of Geostorm. And the article is mostly just like, yeah, they don't explain it, but what we get is clearly nonsense. And I love that one of the guys at the Smithsonian had to dig through all that. So they build this satellite system, and it takes them like only like four years. It's a five year later. So no, it's, it's not even. It's three years later. It's three years later. They build this massive satellite network. In a year, because it sounds like it's been in operation for a while. Let's say it, let's say it takes them two years. Yeah. So in two years, by 2021... This satellite system exists, controls all weather on the planet. Is currently operated only by the Americans, even though they make it clear that the Chinese contributed about half. Right. But so the theory is like, I don't know, the Americans are running the show, but they're going to be transferring authority to an international body. Right. And this movie takes place right before they're about to do that authority transfer. Right. When things go wrong. Basically, the Secretary of State is a racist, wants to kill all the brown people in the world, and then re-emerge as this president and supreme leader over a white world population. Okay, so let's talk about Ed Harris's plan. So, spoiler for the movie, Ed Harris is the villain of this movie, which you realize the minute you see Ed Harris on screen, you're like, oh, he's doing evil Ed Harris. This is the guy who tried to steal the treasure of El Dorado from beneath Mount Rushmore, and he was bitter about it, so then he went into politics and became Secretary of State. Exactly. That Ed Harris. That, you might say, was some BS. By BS, we of course mean Book of Secrets. Correct. To be covered in a future episode. Uh, Give us National Treasure 3. The people demand it. Do it. Disney. Hashtag NT3. So Ed Harris's plan is to use Dutch Boy to cause weather catastrophes all over the planet to cause, one might say, a geostorm. And then it'll be set to target places, like you said, basically places with brown people or just like, he frames it as like America's enemies. Yeah, but it's India and Dubai is what we see. Or not the enemies of the United States. Yeah. So it's targeting these places, and his idea is like, and then it'll be 1945 all over again with America on top. And I'm like, well, the Soviets were pretty big back then, too. Yeah. Also, the third place that gets hit is Tampa. Orlando. Orlando. So 
I don't know what it... Well, he's playing... Oh, right, right, right. He has to hit Orlando because he wants to take out the entire leadership of the U.S. government. Uh, only four people. Yeah, so this takes place in a fantasy world where Democrats control all branches of government. And also... 2022 is a presidential election year. Which puts it in the West Wing timeline, where midterms and generals are flipped. Okay. Because in the West Wing, their elections are in 2002 and 2006. Oh, so this all takes place in the West Wing CU. The WWCU. This is a sequel to the West Wing. (laughs) Yes. So, Ed Harris sets it up so that it'll go to Orlando because... President Palma, played magnificently by Andy Garcia, is there along with... I love him. ...the Speaker of the House, Senate Pro Tem. And so the idea is that then they'll all get killed by the Geostorm, leaving Ed Harris to take over in this election year. So I guess he's just like, well, it'll be a disaster, so they'll re-elect me. I guess. I guess that's his plan. His plan doesn't make a ton of sense, because he is destroying a good chunk of the country. And Jim Sturgis' response is like, millions of people are gonna die. And Ed Harris is like, I know, but it'll be great for America. And I'm like, I'm not sure that it will be. Yeah. Also, the thing is, it's gonna trigger a geostorm, which we're led to believe is apocalyptic. Like... It's not that, I feel like at a certain point, it will no longer be targeted. Right. I mean, we know that Dutch Boy can put a stop to some of these things, but part of his plan is to sabotage Dutch Boy and basically blow it up. Yeah. So there will be no stopping the Geostorm. So it'll be 1945 in the sense that the world is about to be destroyed because of the folly of man and these things they have created. Exactly. Just like he wants. Yeah. Uh, It's pointed out by the Secret Service agent whose name I don't know, who is relatively important in the movie, that the Democratic convention is the only thing on the president's schedule that won't change in four years, essentially. And that's why it's the target. I mean, it it is locked in. It is locked in. But I like the concept that Ed Harris created this plan before even becoming Secretary of State and had to wait like four years. Yeah, he's been sitting on this for a while. He does not talk like a Democrat. No, he does not. He's like an old school Democrat, by which I mean he's like a Cold War Democrat. So he probably still like supports a bunch of New Deal programs, but is crazy intense on like, let's take out the commies. Yeah, foreign policy, let's just murder every single person on the planet. Yeah. That's his foreign policy. Right, exactly. He's one of those like Nebraska Democrats. Yeah, he really does not like the UN. That's what we learned. This movie is madness. Should we talk about the romance? I guess we should get into the romance. So let's keep let's keep in mind this. This takes place in 2022. You know, so presidential is, election year 2022. This is coming, guys. So, get ready. The Geostorm, the original one is hitting next year. This episode's coming out in November. Yeah. So, we're a year looking for- at just like potentially in 2 months. They didn't say what time of year. Yeah, at some point, two million people in Madrid will die from a heat wave so in Madrid, the next year. Hunker down, start building some bunkers, maybe. Uh, hide yourself in a refrigerator. If there's anything we can do, send it to us. Let us know. We want to help out. We will carry on the legacy of Babe the Blue Ox, who oh, fought for justice God. in the United States. We will fight for justice in the world. Let's just move on to the five points. All right, whatever. So every episode, we break down the romance of the movie that we're covering into the five points that best exemplify that romantic plotline. Now, as we say at the start of every episode, we will do this even if there's not a whole lot of romance. And boy, did we do it. This movie could have more interesting romance so easily. Here are my fixes. I guess we should do this after we talk about the romance that's there, probably. Yeah, do whatever you want. (laughs) Okay, one, 
cut out Secret Service agent. We don't even know her name. Clearly, she's not important. Oh, are you going to say that he should date Zazie Beetz? Yes. That's that's a fix for every movie. Every movie, the result should be, what if Zazie Beetz's role were bigger? This includes movies that she's not in. Yes. Her role should be bigger. Yes. So, promote Zazie Beetz to his romantic interest. Better character. More fun. Better actor. They also have more of a reason to interact because Zazie Beetz and Jim Sturgis are working together to try to investigate. There's like a murder mystery part of this movie. This movie is an Ed Harris conspiracy, space disaster, and a murder mystery movie. None of those three things is totally fleshed out. Yeah. Also, the Ed Harris plotline is wrapped up like 30 minutes before the end of the movie. On the front of the murder part, the murder mystery. So one of the reasons that Jake has to go up to Dutch Boy is that... It's been malfunctioning, and somebody on the crew, Mahmoud, died. Was murdered. It looks like a freak accident, like he died, but pretty quickly it becomes clear that he was murdered, and they're trying to figure out who did it. At first, they think it might be Eugenio Derbez, who I think plays Hernandez, and then they, like, think it's the French guy, maybe, and then eventually they land on... It's the British guy, right? Yeah. It's the British Duncan. Guy. Sorry? Duncan. Duncan. There's another name. Played so- by Nathan from The Misfits a British TV show about delinquents who get superpowers. That's basically him in this movie. Yep. So Duncan is working with Ed Harris. Yes. For some reason, despite Ed Harris's blatant nationalism. And Duncan is like, I'm a proud citizen of the British empire. So here's my deal. Duncan is a UKIP voter, right? Yes. But also he says that it's only about the money for him. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. So he's a total UKIP voter. Clearly British nationalist doesn't like many other people. Yes. Just loves money. Also a murderer. Yes. Let's be clear. And this podcast, we have a long record of being clearly anti-murder. <laughs> yeah. This continues to we this day. We have taken day. a strong stand against murder with Colonel Club. We took it against, uh, what's-her-face from Vertigo? Yeah, we were not fans of that. Guys, murder is bad. Duncan, I guess he does get justice in this one. Because yeah, he is launched into space, into space by his own idiocy. Right, exactly. Although that does come close to what... I want to happen to me when I die, which is I don't want to be buried. I don't want to take up space on Earth. My hope is that by the time I'm dead, space travel will be cheap enough that I can be launched into the sun. That sounds expensive. Right, but hopefully it'll it'll be cheaper. And maybe that'll be enough of a thing that there'll be like a few hundred of us that are all launched into the sun together. <laughs> At once. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But I like the idea of what little energy I have after death being expended to keep the sun going a little bit longer. Oh my god. It'd be kind of cool. You'd keep the sun going for maybe a picosecond. Sure, okay, I don't even know what number that is. Fine, so it doesn't really matter. Still, kind of cool that you were launched into the sun. Yeah. This is a legitimate thing that I believe. It'd be cool to be launched into the sun when you're dead. Yeah. I want to do that thing where my ashes are fertilizing a tree, because I like trees more than tombstones. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair. You know what? helps trees grow what the sun <laughs> this podcast is over i quit <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by the sun need some energy look up don't Wanna... look at the sun that's bad advice <laughs> want things to get brighter open your curtains see the sun free light every day disclaimer do not look directly into the sun it is bad for your eyes yeah but it's so friendly that's why the sun always wears uh, sunglasses to help protect its own eyes because it knows not to look into the sun yeah but also then that's less sunlight going directly on you they're covered by the sunglasses oh so kind yeah it's a friendly sun how did that get started like who started drawing sunglasses on the sun i I know i did (laughs) yeah it's what's done yeah it looks a lot like the dude from the end of Minesweeper. We have not even hit point one yet. Oh, my other fix. Uh, Gerard Butler should obviously get back with his ex-wife because there's more emotional climax there. 
Yeah, she's barely in this movie. Yeah. She also was recast during reshoots. These are easy fixes that would just bring more emotion into the romance that is currently none. Right. Um, so, the first time that we get a sense that there's romance... Geostorm. Max Lawson, who, again, is played by Jim Sturgis, is at work. His boss, Ed Harris, is in a meeting with President Palma, and Max is hanging out in the hallway, and he's, like, uh, looking at this uh, secret service agent. Who won't look at him. She's so focused on her job. She will not look at him. She, like, knows that he's looking at her, but she won't look at him, because she's doing her job. She's looking ahead. And they're, like, flirting. She insists on calling him by his title. She's like, oh, Assistant Secretary of State Lawson. What do you need? And she won't, still won't look at him. She's staring straight ahead. She is doing her job. She is laser focused. This is a pretty bad performance. Um, I looked it up. Her name is Sarah Wilson. Well, that was a placeholder name. <laughs> yeah, that was a first draft name. Who's the actress? Abby Cornish. Abby Cornish. Well, she is probably the worst performance in the movie. Australian actress and rapper, according yo, to Wikipedia. Yo, we got to find some Abby Cornish raps. Uh, yes, please. So she's calling him Assistant Secretary of State Lawson. She says she won't engage in casual conversation at work. Wait, uh, real quick. They point out that Richard Schiff specifically plays Virginia Senator Thomas Cross. Is that ever mentioned? It's on his nameplate. It says Virginia. It is? Okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's part of, this is, a, remember, a West Wing sequel. Oh, right. So that's after Richard Schiff gets in trouble for leaking the secrets of the military space shuttle, he has to go into witness protection. He changes his name and then gets elected to the U.S. Senate. He also is someone that talks about the UN like a Republican, but must be a Democrat if he's chairing a... True, I had not thought about that. Yeah. He really seems like a Republican in the movie, but we know that all the branches are controlled by Democrats. That's interesting. Unless the president pro tem is getting assassinated somewhere else. Because Deckham would do that because he attempts to kill the president with the bazooka. <laughs> Forgot he had the bazooka in his car. <laughs> Just like in the trunk of his car, he has a bazooka. So that then when, we'll talk about this later, but when they get the president away from where the geostorm is hitting in Orlando, Deckham's like, fine. And he just opens his trunk and pulls out a bazooka. Yep. <laughs> like he's just wandering around with this ready in case he needs it. What's his plan? Like if the president goes to the bathroom and isn't in the right place, he'll just like blow up the toilet. Yep. Exactly. What is the bazooka for? It's such overkill. Have a pistol that you can put in your pants. God, this movie is the best. Okay. So they're flirting at work. She's refusing to engage in casual conversation. He's trying to be like, come on, we're alone. It's just you and me. Like, won't you talk to me? And she's like, absolutely not. What are you doing? Assistant Secretary of State, can I assist you with something? And he's like, boy, you can assist me with something. And she's like, not like that. And he's like, well, you know, we're kind of in this situation now. And she's like, so help me, I will kill you. She actually does threaten to kill him if he doesn't go away. Yes. And he says it would be an honor to be the first person you kill. Which is kind of a dig. I don't know. I don't know. Is it supposed to be a dig that she hasn't killed anybody? No, it's just supposed to be witty banter, but it's neither witty nor banter. It's just weird and kind of upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> Geo's tormented. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a dig, but I feel like Secret Service agents aren't putting, like, notches in their belt for every kill they get. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, I feel like Secret Service agents probably don't kill that many people. Yeah. I don't think the Secret Service has killed somebody ever? Oh, you know what? They would have killed people in 1950. There was an assassination attempt on Harry Truman by some Puerto Rican nationalists. And some of those guys were killed in the firefight. But, like, there can't be that many people that were killed by Secret Service. I don't know. I'm gonna look into this later. So, anyway... They flirt for a bit, and he eventually is like, all right, fine, I'll go to my meeting. And as he's walking away, she, still staring straight ahead, all in one breath goes, I like that tie home by seven, love you. And we're like, ah, uh, see, there's uh, something big going on here. It's yeah, cute. they live together. Right, they live together. Okay, so let's talk about this. Because her whole objection to talking about him is like, we need to maintain appearances. It's completely inappropriate for me to be with you. It's against the rules. It's against the rules. 
for me to be with you, you have to stop. They clearly openly live together. Yeah, like, they must share an address on their forms. Right. But my question is, is it really against the rules? She's not protecting him. Yeah. Secret Service agents are allowed to date. They are allowed to have personal lives. Yeah, so I don't think it is against the rules. I think they just wanted that, like, salaciousness, which is pointless. They don't need it. It doesn't serve the plot at all, except it gives us the punchline of the trailer. Right. Which the trailer is all like, we got this satellite. It's protecting the weather. And then they're like, we've got to kidnap the president. Spoiler. And then they're in the car, and at the end of the trailer, Max is listing all the stuff that they've done. And he's like, anything else that I've forgotten, honey? And Andy Garcia looks at them both and goes... Honey! Except he actually just says, honey. I think it's bigger in the trailer, or at least it's just because it's the punchline of the trailer. It's really locked in my head. Yeah. So anyway, they flirt. She loves him, but she needs to keep it a secret. He doesn't really want to. Point two. Point two. Geostorm. That night, they're in bed together. Ayo. In the house, they clearly share. In the house, they clearly own together. Yeah. I don't know how it's a secret. It is not. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And so he's in bed with this girl and he's like joking around. He's like, if we were in like a dangerous situation, would you save me first or would you save the president first? And without thinking, she says the president, you know, her job. Yeah. Job comes first. Yeah. Especially when your job is protecting the president. Right. Like that was the correct answer. Yeah. So they flirt for a bit and then they uh, start making up. And that's basically it. Yep. Point he, two. He has to leave, I think. He has to go to work, go into work to do Oh, yeah. Because the, the geostorm crisis. Because this right. is when Dutch Boy starts to fail. This by is this the point, Afghanistan thing. Yeah. By or this is point, this Hong Gerard Kong? Butler. Oh, I don't know which one. It um, does not matter. It doesn't matter. By this point, Gerard Butler is up in space. We frankly should be covering the romance between him and Dutch Boy. Yeah. <laughs> he gets up there and he's like stroking it. Going, Look at you, girl. Living and breathing. It's called Dutch Boy. True. Good point. I noticed that. I don't think it really matters that much, but... So anyway, they're working on that. Gerard Butler is figuring out that there's some sabotage going on. He needs to solve it. He lets his brother know. He's like, yo, brother and also Secretary of State Ed Harris, like, we're facing a real serious crisis here, and it's going on right before we're supposed to hand over control of the station. So we got to figure out what's wrong before that happens, because as President Andy Garcia says, I will not be the president who hands over damaged goods. Everyone in this movie speaks in speeches. Yes. No one talks to a human. There's no dialogue in this movie. It's just competing speeches. It's like a Lincoln-Douglas debate. Yeah, there are only monologues. I love when they're deciding that they're going to send somebody up after Afghanistan. He's giving this speech in the Situation Room, and he does this whole thing about how, like, we'll send up one man, one of our own. And I'm like, this feels like monologue voiceover for their trailer it doesn't sound like something someone would say like a person would just be like all right so we should like send up a guy to fix this thing right (laughs) who is he talking to i i just i can't this movie is incredible (laughs) oh my god highly highly recommend (laughs) oh my god so uh point number three geostorm by now the two brothers who don't like each other because sometimes younger brothers resent being younger and they get all bossy yeah, Max is the one that fires him at the beginning. Yeah, in 2019. Or, not 2019, because it's after they built the thing. Oh, so it's the same year, because it's like six months later. Yeah, six months before this, Jake got fired off of the Geostorm facility by his brother. Because he comes in real hot to a committee meeting. Yeah, he's really obnoxious. It's basically the opening scene from Iron Man 2. Yeah, why is he so rude right at the beginning after showing up an hour late? You know, here's the thing. It's just like what people don't get is like politicians don't understand how to solve problems. We just need like rough and tumble average guys to do what needs to be done and not let the red tape senators stand in their way. Yeah, clearly we just need one smart white man to solve all our problems. To fix this job, we need one man. One of our own. 
to do what must be done. I hate this movie. It's so good. Anyway, so the two of them are collaborating begrudgingly now. They still don't totally trust each other, but they know that they can work together at least to stop the Dutch boy crisis. To stop a potential Geostorm! So, Max goes to another government office. By the way, why is Dutch Boy overseen by the State Department? Who the f*** knows how they think the government works in this movie? It should probably be commerce. Yeah. Because that's where Noah is headquartered. Or maybe even a, like, special agency. Frankly, yeah. Yeah, like, they probably deserve just a branch that reports to the president, especially because it's so temporary. Right. But so, like, it should be under commerce or, like, maybe energy... There's an agency called the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration yeah. that focuses on weather. It should be there. It should be there. Or even NASA. Uh, isn't NASA under the NOAA? Is it? I don't know. I think it is. I judge them for not knowing how the government works, but apparently I don't either. You didn't write a movie about it. That is true. I should write a movie. Well, hmm? let's write a movie. Let's write a sequel to Geostorm. Done. Oh, no. NASA's an independent agency. So yeah. they could just do something like that. Or have it, you know... Part of NASA. Exactly. Uh, what is NASDA. NASDA. National Aeronautics, Aeronautics Space, Space Dutch and Boy. Dutch Boy Administration. There we go. All right. So point number three. Guys, there's so little romance in this movie. Yeah. So by now, Max has recruited Zazie Beats to try to hack into Dutch Boy and find out what's causing all of these chaotic incidents where, like, Dutch Boy suddenly froze a town in Afghanistan and then suddenly caused, like the earth's mantle to burst forth through the streets of hong kong yeah i do not understand how they think dutch boy works no they don't think dutch boy works will was watching a um special feature and they were talking to someone on the design team or something and he talked about the domino buildings it was like yeah this would never happen but we decided to make it look as realistic as possible it looks like the miramax logo is toppling in on itself yeah it does not look great so he recruits daisy beats they're working at Max and what's-her-name's house. Why does he know who this low-level computer person is? I don't know. He's Maybe an he's assistant secretary. Before. He's probably been hacking stuff before, so he could do, like, I don't know, sports betting. Yeah, something. He's been trying to run algorithms to predict the outcome of the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. Very glad Zazie Beetz is in she's this great. movie because she is the only she, good actor. She's, like, maybe better in this than she is in Deadpool 2. I haven't seen it. Eh, I mean, it's Deadpool. Anyway, exactly. so Zazie Beetz is back at their place. And Secret Service agent, we're following her perspective. She walks into her home and it's kind of dark because for some reason the lights are off. Yeah. Unclear why. Uh, Abby Cornish, what's her face? Already forgot her name. Walks into the kitchen after calling like, hello, Max, are you home? Zazie Beetz. She like hears people moving around. Yeah, so, so she has her she gun. She pulls her gun out. Yeah, so Zazie Beetz walks in front of the door and is listening to music, even though Max is like in the room. Yeah, I guess it's just how she gets in the zone for her job or anything. So what's her face? I'll be Cornish. She pulls a gun on Zazie Beetz and is like, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? She's like ready to shoot this girl. Pretty intensely, since we know she's never killed anybody. Yeah, she's hot on that gun. Yeah, so Jim Sturgis has to talk her down. It is kind of implied that she's like, what, are you guys, like, here having sex while I'm protecting the president? And Jim Sturgis is like, no, but speaking of your job with the president, would you mind stealing state secrets for us? Yeah, uh, Zazie Beats calls her secret agent Barbie, which is fun. It is. 
because she has the same amount of personality as a Barbie doll. Whoa! Hey, Barbie's cool in Toy Story 2. <laughs> that is true. She's great in Toy Story 2. Yeah. She agrees to help steal the kill codes from Palma's hollow frame. This is a real phrase from the movie. <laughs> I hate this movie. Because what they need is only the president has the power to shut down Dutch Boy. So they need to get the codes from his hollow frame, which is basically like a cell phone that folds into it being about the size of a pen. Right. So they're like, all right, let's do it. But then what Ed Harris reveals to them, he's like, Palma doesn't have the kill codes. He is the kill codes. One of my favorite moments in this movie, when Ed Harris walks into a room one time, there's literal thunder and lightning. Yeah. They are not subtle. They telegraph it so hard. Yeah. when they want it to be a reveal, we're like, yeah, we all knew Ed Harris was the bad guy. Right. We saw National Treasure too. Yeah. So then, point number four. Geostorm. I can't believe we're on point four. It's the Democratic National Convention, and they're there to kidnap the president. Palma is giving some long speech about, united we stand. United, we can. This is apparently the theme of his re-election campaign. Oh my god. It sounds like something out of Veep. He does not seem like... I can't tell if they're trying to make him out to be a good president. I think, I think he's they supposed are. to be a very good president. They're going yeah. for, Remember, this is the guy who wrote Independence Day. He's going for a President Bill Pullman vibe. Yeah, but that Democratic convention, nothing is interesting. interesting. <laughs> so, while this is happening, it's building towards a geostorm in space. The progress bar is filling up. And Sturgis, uh, Max, grabs his lady pal while the vice president is giving a speech. And he's like, all right, Ed Harris is evil. Because they figured that out because Ed Harris tried to kill him. Real fast. Like, tried to shoot him in a bathroom because he realized, like, you might be getting close to stopping this geostorm from happening. And what I need is for half the world's population to die. Not the white people. Just the ones who live in Orlando and then everyone else. Yep. And Max manages to escape, and he grabs his uh, lady friend, and he's like, all right, Ed Harris is evil. We need to kidnap the president now, or it's all over. Can we talk about how their original plan is to steal the hollow frame while President Andy Garcia is showering on Air Force One? And that's never mentioned again. Nope. Which, frankly, we deserved a scene of that. (laughs) So... She tells him to get a car. She'll take care of the president. And so what she does is she pulls out her gun. Again, quick on the draw here. <laughs> she calls in a security issue and then shoots her gun a bunch of times into the ceiling. Not hiding it. No. She, like, pulls people it high in the air like her. a flare gun. Yeah. There's so many very quick draw people in this movie, including Duncan, who pulls a hidden gun. How did that get onto the spaceship? Fires breaking some glass which is why you shouldn't have guns security might be lax on dutch boy considering they're just sending up shuttles with one person aboard all the time yeah that french guy sucks at his job we see jake driving up to the like space launch pad area in florida and we see a shuttle launching in the background as he's driving up and like an hour later he's on one and he's the only passenger and it's clearly the most inefficient system ever i don't understand so anyway Secret Service lady kidnaps the president. They get him into the car. There are people chasing them. Ed Harris is chasing them. And he's like, whatever. And they get him in the car. And they're like, sir, Dutch boy is going down. We got to stop a geostorm. We need your fingers and your eyes. We can do it with you alive or not. They don't say that. But they maybe would have continued to use them if he were dead. Yeah. And so then he's like running through all the stuff where he's like, man, we've done all this crazy stuff. We got shot at by our boss. We kidnapped the president. Is there anything I'm forgetting, honey? He goes, Honey? And then they're driving around. They're driving pretty crazy because now Ed Harris is chasing them in his car and he's shooting at them, firing some bullets. And she's doing like crazy turns and like spinning the car around and doing all she's this She's actually stuff. an effective Secret Service agent. She's, yeah, we have no reason to think she's not. She's just a very boring she's person. She's the only person that successfully kills anyone right. with a gun. First person she kills. Yeah. 
At one point when she pulls off a particularly wild turn, President Garcia is like, you should marry that woman. Oh no, he goes, marry her. Yep, barely audible too. But it's right after she had like spun the car 180 degrees while shooting out the window. I wrote that there's no romantic tension between them and I don't know which part of this movie this comes in, but I think it's around here. Meanwhile, uh, Gerard is flirting with Uda on the space station and she tells him to insert the code manually. I wish my eyebrow raises were audible. That's the end of that. So, point number five. Geostorm. The cars come to a stop. They have a showdown with Ed Harris outside the city, which is being consumed by the Geostorm. Yeah, the entire Orlando Convention Center explodes because of a single bolt of lightning. That's how lightning works. So many people just died. Right. Basically, like the, civilians. The Democratic Party, too. Yeah. And it's all civilians, too. So now Ed Harris is like, I've been working on this plan for too long not to have it go down right now. This is where he pulls the rocket launcher out of the trunk of his car that is just ready to shoot the president. And then, oh, this is when Abby Cornish, like, holds a gun to Deckham's head and says, you're not the only one that can track people. Yeah, because they were like... How, like, but, question, how are they tracking people? Yeah, when did they put it on him? Because Max had just found out that Ed Harris was evil. Yeah. And then he ran to do this mission. So it's not like they were like, oh, he's evil, let's, like, plant something in his car and be ready to go. Like, yeah. It's totally unclear, unless she was, like, calling into FBI and getting a tracker on his cell phone, which feels like a really hard thing to do quickly, especially because he's the Secretary of State. Yeah, I have no clue how they track each other. None of the plotting in this, like, literal, like, conspiracy plotting makes any sense. None. And, anyway, they're having this fight. Max punches Ed Harris to the ground, and then the guy's like, that's my fiancé. So I guess now they're public. Yep. And getting married. Yep. I guess the rules no longer apply when you kidnap the president. Anyway, Gerard Butler stops the Geostorm from happening because the progress bar almost fills up but doesn't. Yep. Everyone survives. Uta Hagen lives on. But yeah. there's no resolution in their romance. No. Because the real romance is between these two dudes and how close they almost come to kissing. It's weird how close the brothers almost come to making out yeah well you know there's a fine line between a younger brother who resents being younger and gets bossy and a younger brother who resents being younger and gets romantic they're standing like really close to each other really close and their hug starts by grabbing each other's heads yeah they're doing a whole it it looks like they start off by doing a peter rabbit thing where they just touch their foreheads yeah but then it turns into this just like intense powerful moment and you're like wow this is about to get steamy (laughs) it's so weird we're about to see a manual insertion (laughs) yeah i think it's gerard butler reaches up and grabs the back of jim sturgis's head right and then pulls him into a hug i mean go for something gerard butler by all accounts barely knew his lines on this movie understandable they don't make any sense pure nonsense (laughs) Again, they had to help steal the kill codes from Palma's hollow frame. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) It's moving. All right, so after watching the whole saga unfold, do you find the romance between... Oh, I guess her name is Sarah. I wrote it into the script. Do you find the romance between Sarah and Max believable? No. No, they're not people. Well, she's especially not a person. It's bizarre. I'm pretty sure the Secret Service is allowed to date. Yeah. We're dropped into a relationship that is well-established, and we have no reason to doubt its authenticity because they're engaged, yet I don't believe it at all. She's so quick on the draw when she comes home. I thought she was working with Deckham when I first watched this movie. Yeah. She is built as a villain. That would have been cool. Yeah. Okay, if you don't want to cut her character, have her be a bad guy, and then he still gets with Zazie Beats. What if she is working with Deckham and they still get to the point in, like, the car. So she's driving the getaway car and, like, getting him away. But the place she drives him to, like, Deckham is there. And he's like, 
showdown. Yeah. We got you. And she pulls the gun on the president. Yeah. That, that would, would be cool. Be cool. That would be cool. And that would give stakes to this Earth plot line that never totally makes sense. Yeah. To be fair, neither does the space plot line. No. Oh, my God. I hate this movie. Where would you rate it on our 10-point scale where zero is totally unbelievable, again, just the romance, and 10 is 100% believable? I don't know. Honestly, like I said, they are engaged, and we don't see enough of the romance to really discount it, so I'd probably say like a six. Except that they have no chemistry, and this central conflict of their relationship doesn't exist. Yeah, but it's still, it's not like a Howard the Duck situation, romantically. No. I feel like a five. I'll do a five. Yeah. Okay. Do you think Sarah and Max are dateable? No. No one in this movie is dateable. Max, like, almost is. Get a, like, get a better haircut. You are an assistant secretary of state. His haircut looks terrible. This is true. He looks like he's 12, and that's mostly because of his dumb haircut. Yeah. But he's smart and works hard. Seems like generally a chill guy but who takes his job seriously yeah i'm not gonna say no on max sarah no way yeah i don't need her pulling a gun every time i walk in a room yeah he has a weird brother thing though he does have a weird brother thing (laughs) that'll be tough to deal with yeah if you did have to pick someone in this movie to date and you do have to pick someone who would it be i don't know maybe hernandez all right he's cool yeah he's fun yeah i like robotics guy yeah he was in Nutcracker in the Four Realms as the Lord of Flowers. And it's a very strange performance. Al Hernandez, according to Wikipedia. Ah, great. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> Al is a great name. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I would go with Easy Beats, the obvious answer. Yeah. Or, wait a minute. I wanted to give that to you. You can have it. I want to date Andy Garcia, the intense, speechifying president. See, I don't want to point... date Andy Palma, or whatever, President Palma, but I do want to date Andy Garcia. He, at one point, is being shouted down by Ed Harris, like, oh, how are you going to do this? How are you going to put a stop to my plan? And his response is, how? Because I'm the goddamn president of the United States of America. Which is straight out of that Frank Miller Batman comic. (laughs) But it's just like, Andy Garcia, why do you only give speeches? Your real speeches are bad. United we stand, united we can. And your dialogue is like, kind of good speeches that don't make any sense. Yeah, update, his name is Andrew Palma. Amazing. Which is why I kept thinking of him as President Andy Palma. Great. That's probably what he goes by. Yeah. Um, last question. Do Sarah and Max stay together? Yes, until she shoots him when he walks into the room surprising her. <laughs> yeah, that's one option. The other is when he runs off with his brother. True facts. Who has more chemistry with Max than Sarah does. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. That probably does it for this movie, right? Yeah, I think that's about Geostorm! it. Oh, my God. We've talked about so much of this movie. All right. So looking towards next week, we are returning to our ongoing, maddening, sanity-destroying coverage of the DreamWorks animated films with what was at the time of its release the biggest animated movie of all time 2004's shrek 2 the first dreamworks sequel i remember i loved it when i first saw it have not seen it in ages but i have watched the fairy godmother's performance of holding out for a hero many times since watching the movie that's what i associate that song with yeah it's a great performance it is great soundtrack again it's shrek not as doing great as person, but it's still a good soundtrack no it does have funky town by lips inc on it you take me to I'm excited to revisit this film. So that'll be sort of coming off of Thanksgiving. You've spent time traveling to a distant place to visit family, just like Princess Fiona does in this movie. It'll work out great. I thought you were talking about uh, <laughs> Fifi Fierce. Oh, no. <laughs> I had no idea because of that uh, 
<laughs> film she did. Yes, right. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at We Love the Love, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at we love the love at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And last question, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Um, uh, Mine is refuse to talk to them Except completely seriously And not looking at them That works Almost die in space together Because that worked for Gerard Butler And, and Uta Hagen Yeah Alright uh, there you go Until next time I'm a ginger And I'm gay So between the two of us We know everything there is to know about romance Bye, Bye. 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 You're in